0: Good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And we have a very special treat for you tonight. It's not that little dog that doesn't <laughs> even look like a dog that just walked in the door. It's Dr. <laughs> William Mackis, who uh, has been in some, some interesting situations with his, I'm assuming, former employer, Alberta Health Services. Um, and I I've been watching what he's been doing for the last year. And this is the first time we've had the opportunity to connect which I'm very grateful for. So thank you very much for joining us and giving us some of your time. Thanks for having me. And as we kind of discussed earlier, um, I would like to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself because this will be an introduction for me as well because I'm sure there's lots of things about you
1: that I don't know. Sure thing. Um, I grew up in Toronto. I was born in Czechoslovakia, um, immigrated to Canada when I was eight years old. Um, We lived in a refugee camp for a year in Yugoslavia, actually, before coming to Canada. Grew up in Toronto, went to University of Toronto for my undergrad, where I did four years of immunology. And then I did my medical training at McGill University in Montreal. And I have a five-year specialty degree in nuclear medicine, radiology, and oncology, uh, also from McGill. I've practiced uh, medicine in Quebec and in Manitoba for three years. Um, and then in 2013, I moved to Alberta, where I took over a large cancer treatment program at Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. So y- you said
0: you you spent part of your time growing up in a refugee camp. Yeah. What was uh, can you want to just elaborate on that a little bit? What was what was that like? What, what was the what happened there?
1: Well, as you know, um, you know the uh, the Berlin Wall fell in. Uh, 89, and uh, my parents had no idea that that was going to happen. Uh, most uh, people in communist countries had no idea that communism was going to fall, and so uh, my parents uh, immigrated. And uh, the only way to do it for us at the time was uh, to apply for refugee status um, at the United Nations office in uh, Belgrade in Yugoslavia. So we spent a year in a refugee camp. Uh, we were fortunate because my dad was a math professor, and so. Um, you know, he had he had a skill that Canada was looking for at the time. And so we had a fairly short stay there. Um, but you know, some people had stayed in the refugee camp for three, four, five years. There were kids that were born in the refugee camp. And, you know, we had a tiny little room uh, for our family, but you know, we had food and 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 shelter. And and so um, you know, as as a kid, it wasn't as traumatic as maybe it was for my parents.
0: So you grew up um uh knowing what communism is like knowing what tyranny is like that's uh you're no stranger to that well
1: honestly i remember uh standing in red lines um you know my parents would drop me off let's say at the supermarket um and i'd stand there for an hour two hours in line so that we could get you know some of the basic basic essentials right bread toilet paper and that kind of stuff um i remember you know people were hiding foreign currency because if you were caught with uh, us dollars or any other foreign currency you, you you know you'd go to jail um so there's a lot about the you know the communist regime that i remember uh pretty vividly even though i was a kid
0: well that's uh you know the, there is a common theme there's quite a few people i know who have stood up and said something against what the governments have done in the last three years that have uh you know early early years where they spent time seeing what communism looks like and that that's important to me because one of the things that I hear a lot—I shouldn't say a lot, but often—is, "Oh, you know, what freedoms have you lost?" This is nothing like that. Um, there's no comparison. But then we listen to men like Arthur Pulowski, who, who grew up in Poland behind the Iron Curtain. Um, uh, our our late friend Yasna Beck. She um, she was she she moved from Slovakia to Canada, and she grew up with that. She knows. She could smell it. She could taste it. She knew exactly what was happening. Um, she she even spent a few years as a United Nations peacekeeper because she wanted prevent wanted to prevent communism from coming anywhere else. And uh, so that's that's really cool that to hear you um, uh, describe that. And is that so? It, do you, do you think that that's given you kind of the 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 resolve to speak out and stand up against authoritarian and totalitarian? uh overreach in in these cases like with AHS and you know with the last three years what the government's doing is that a has, is that a factor
1: I think so I mean you know I've um grown up with the sort of the immigrant work ethic that uh you know if you work if you work hard um and you know you do everything by the book that you know you can succeed in a, in a place like Canada or United States and so on uh you know certainly my dad had that you know, immigrant work ethic when he came here. I don't think he's taken a, a day off, you know, in the last 30 years that he's worked at the University of Toronto. So, um, you know, I have, I have that. And, and, um, unfortunately, you know, what I ran into with Alberta Health Services was I ran into the kind of corruption that, um, I didn't even think was possible in, in Canada. And, and so, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, my background has kind of, you know sort of um shaped me into my reaction to that where I basically stood up to you know what I perceived was very corrupt you know behavior of healthcare officials and and I just would refuse to be silenced um and I took on lawyers I took on extremely powerful people wealthy people some of the most powerful people in Alberta really when you think about Alberta Health Services that that AHS handles, you know, some $23 billion, half of the provincial budget of Alberta every single year. And that's handled by the top executives whom I'm currently suing. So, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've stood up for myself and I guess I'll continue to do so.
0: That's a daunting task, but if nobody ever did that, uh, the Berlin wall wouldn't have come down, would it?
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, the 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 thing that people don't quite understand about communism at the time was that um you know there were a lot of places where people would get shot, you know, for for trying to escape. People were shot trying to, you know, get past the Berlin Wall. Um, you know, when people were trying to escape from communist Hungary, uh, whether it was into Austria or, or wherever, you know, people were shot at, people were killed, people were, you know, put into you know gulags for for years and and forgotten about so you know th- I mean this is a this is still in our lifetime. this isn't like a hundred years ago you know this is still within many of our lifetimes and I mean I'm I'm still fairly young uh, but you know uh, certainly older people will remember some horrific things that that happened under communism right so
0: and we're certainly grateful for them because they uh, you know they share some knowledge and wisdom that us younger folks we couldn't possibly even imagine. So I've yeah. I've said this for a while now, I think it's important to listen to the folks with the white and the gray hair and the mm-hmm. you know, missing hair because they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's uh, that that's very illuminating. And it, uh, I have a, a much better understanding of why you've decided to um, put so much on the line to speak out against these folks. Because you, you say that you came here with a good work work ethic as do many immigrants to Canada uh that you can work hard follow the rules and be successful and you were very successful
1: yeah I mean you know I I always sort of took the hardest uh you know courses in at at University of Toronto for my undergrad I took the hardest uh program um in biology which was immunology actually and you know that was considered the hardest program at the time uh I went to the top you know medical school at McGill uh McGill was certainly the hardest medical school in Canada um, and I think still is. Um, so, so you know, I've, I've, I've always sort of followed the, the really, you know, the hard, hard work path. I, I didn't take any shortcuts. I didn't, uh, you know, cut any corners. And, and, and I took that into medicine as well. You know, when I came to Alberta, and I took over, you know, the, the cancer program at Cross Cancer Institute. I mean, I put everything into it. Uh, you know, I would come home. Um, you know, after a 10-hour 10, 10 day, 10, 11-hour day, and I would pass out on the couch. I'd have no energy to, you know, interact with my kids and and anything like that. And I just put... And on weekends, I was doing research and I was uh, publishing research um, for cancer diagnostics and cutting-edge cancer treatments. I have over 100 uh, publications. Um, you know, I had over 100 publications before I was 40 years old. So um, you know, I, I've, I put my heart and soul into, you know, medicine mm-hmm. and, and all of that's been taken away from me by Alberta health services and by the college of physicians and surgeons of Alberta, you know, by individuals who were basically lifetime bureaucrats, never had any accomplishments in their life, uh, except that they were put into powerful positions where all they did was abuse people. They abused frontline staff doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers, and patients as well. So, you know, that's unfortunately, that's that's been my reality. Maybe, we, like should, have something there, Carrie.
2: maybe we should get into the, uh, the meat and the potatoes of uh, why we want to talk to you and why your story is so valuable, especially going on right now with what's happened with AHS and a new premiere coming in and uh and what's just happened with with uh COVID and uh the the release of the Pfizer documents and, and all that. It's a lot to digest, but you're like the perfect guy to to talk about it because you've been involved even before uh the pandemic started. So why don't yeah. we why don't we back to- up
0: a little bit prior to that? And then I have we- one yeah. question before before we get sure. into that. So with what you've done in your chosen field in medicine, um, is there any statistics or information you want to share about how your practice and what you, you know, what you were doing as a doctor has impacted Albertans? Like I'm, I, I've read some things and it sounds pretty incredible to me, but what what kind of an impact did you have on the health and
1: wellness of Albertans during your uh, 10 years as an oncologist? In terms of cancer diagnostics, I was the leading uh, reader, radiologist reader of PET-CT scans in Alberta. I read the most PET-CT scans in Alberta, close to about a thousand per year. PET-CT scans is um, cutting edge uh, diagnostics, is is what we use to diagnose cancer, to follow cancer, to give surgeons instructions on on how to do their surgeries and to give oncologists advice on on what chemotherapy regimens to implement, when to implement them and so on. So that was on the diagnostic side. I was the leading PET-CT reader uh, in Alberta. Uh, they've had to hire several people to take that part of my practice, to, to, to take it over and try to catch up. Uh, as you know, the the backlogs on, on CT scans and MRI scans uh, have, been huge, have, mm-hmm. have been insane. And they've been that way for for years. Um, and, and on the cancer treatment side, um, I ran the largest uh, targeted radionuclide therapy uh, cancer treatment program in North America. We treated cancer patients with medical isotopes. Uh, which is basically you inject patients with uh, radiation now it's radioactive atoms that are attached to molecules that deliver the radiation directly to tumor cells release the radiation radiation kills the tumor cells doesn't affect the surrounding tissue because they don't travel very far they only travel one or two cells across Uh, so this is a cutting edge um, cancer treatment it's much much better than chemotherapy or anything else um, and we had a success rate in end stage neuroendocrine cancer patients who had, who had failed every other treatment option. And we cured and saved about 80, 85 to 90% of them. Neuroendocrine cancer is the type of cancer that Steve Jobs had. Wow. Um, it, it'll show up in, uh, you know, the pancreas, small bowel, large bowel. And we saved 85 to 90% of those patients. Um, And unfortunately, what happened when they shut down my cancer program because they wanted it uh, rebuilt in Vancouver, BC, I found out later that the federal government was getting involved, the Trudeau federal government was getting involved in this technology, and they planned to invest heavily into building um, that same cancer program, but in Vancouver, not in Alberta. They didn't want it to be in Alberta they wanted to be in Vancouver and they've invested over 300 million dollars so far and counting um and a lot of you know liberal um allies healthcare executives politicians are directly personally involved uh in invested in these programs um but um yeah Alberta Health Services basically decided to shut it down um this was under the Rachel Notley government and it looks like it was a favor to the Trudeau Liberals so that they would have no competition they could call themselves global leaders in this technology. Um, the estimated, you know, market cap uh, profit potential of this is is on the order of $20, $30 dollars a year. Uh, so there's a lot of money in this, and um, and and unfortunately, um, you know, Alberta was in the crosshairs of the Trudeau Liberal government and the Rachel Notley government. Mm-hmm. and so they couldn't shut the program down officially because it was so successful and we had cured so many patients um so they do they did it uh, as as everything that HS does in a very sneaky roundabout way was they had basically thought if they can remove me from the workplace with a fraudulent complaint then the program itself would collapse and that's exactly what happened they removed me uh at the end of 2015. The program lasted for another year or so. Then Health Canada came in, found that patients were being extremely poorly treated. Um, and then the whole thing got shut down. Wow.
2: I think one of the things that I, I remember about some of the interviews that I've seen you on is, and it's, it's certainly not trivial at all, but you are you were treating stage four and end-of-life cancers, right? These are the ones that uh, that doctors almost give up on or or they they end up going into a hospice and and yet you were able to uh to save them
1: right yeah to be honest um all my ca- all my cancer patients that i was treating had been given up on um we were basically referred to sort of as the um dumping ground i guess for patients that other oncologists in canada didn't want because they had nothing else to offer them um and so they would refer us patients from all over canada they would send them to us they say look we there's nothing else we can do for you but go to Edmonton there's a you know there's a treatment there and you know they might be able to save you um I was getting you know requests from the from the states I was getting requests uh internationally and we couldn't because uh it was only for Canadians it, our trial was approved by Health Canada it was paid for by Health Canada uh and now the AHS executives that I worked for complained that the program was losing money and that the program was draining money from the radiology department because we had nurses uh, and technologists and other staff that you know would have to share duties mm. between the radiology and the cancer treatment program we didn't even have um you know cancer patient treatment uh, rooms and offices I had to see cancer uh, treatment patients in my office while I was doing radiology work and reading scans. Uh, so my office was a revolving door for, you know, everything. Um, and so, and yet we were extremely successful. Um, we published uh, a lot on, on these cutting edge treatments, um, and AHS did everything possible to shut it down illegally. They breached all of my contracts. They even conspired to have me removed from and erased from the University of Alberta as well. Uh, A lot of people don't know that um, the former Dean of Faculty of Medicine of University of Alberta, Dr. Richard Fedorak, actually erased um, all my university accounts, passwords, IDs, so that I couldn't access the research library, the medical research library at the U of A. Uh, to continue my research and publishing my research, they try to basically eliminate this, destroy me completely. And I can tell you that I have document, documentary evidence of over 50,000 pages of malfeasance that could put most of the upper management of University of Alberta in jail. And certainly most of the upper management of Alberta Health Services and the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta in jail for a lifetime
0: yeah. if
1: if if we had a functioning legal system in alberta which we don't
0: is it would it be a, a fair thing for me to say that it's likely that through bad policy and corrupt practices with both the
1: alberta government and ahs that this has cost people their lives i would say that i can prove in court that over a thousand of my patients have died uh, since 2015 now um i don't have the entire records because of course they cut my they cut my access uh, ahs cut my access to um you know to netcare and everything else um but i can prove at you know over a thousand patients were left to die without proper you know cancer diagnosis or treatment um and and you know i can prove that they did it deliberately and left those patients to die because those patients had no other treatment options at that point Uh, And of course, there were new patients who could have been saved, you know, patients who were recently diagnosed or patients who had recently had surgeries. And those patients were left to basically get chemotherapy, very aggressive chemotherapy that had maybe a 10%, 15% success rate. And then Mm -hmm. most of those patients have died since then. So really what the NDP government of Rachel Notley spent um, four years covering this up um, and then the Kenny government, to my shock and surprise, spent another three years also covering this up, um, where Jason K- Kenny and Tyler Shandro, the, minister, he- the health minister Tyler Shandro, could have blown all of this wide open. Jason Kenny could have ended the political career of Rachel Notley and Sarah Hoffman, who was the health minister at the time. He could have ended their political careers and he could have relegated NDP to basically a non official party status and he and he chose not to um he continued the cover-ups he actually continued funding AHS legal to continue attacking my family to continue committing fraud in court and basically to continue the cover-ups that had started in 2016 and I, I I couldn't understand why because they were completely aware fully aware of what was going on I was in touch with one of the insiders at the Ministry of Health during Jason Kenney's reign they were 100% aware of exactly what was going on. They knew patients were dying. Um, and all that I was told was, oh, it would be bad optics. It would be bad optics during the pandemic. Uh, we know what's going on, but we can't do anything because of bad optics. That and was people just continue case. to die. And people continue to die. So um, really, I've been shocked at, at what UCP had done under Jason Kenney's uh, tenure um especially with AHS and 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 Albertans can see this for themselves setting aside my cancer program Albertans can see for themselves what AHS did mm-hmm. under Jason Kenney's tenure during the pandemic I mean the abuses that AHS engaged in against civilians mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic was absolutely atrocious and reprehensible and these are the same executives that have been po- in power since 2015 they were installed by Rachel Notley's government. Uh, I can name them. I can rattle off their names, starting with Verna Verniau, Verna Verniau, who, okay, was fired a few months ago, and now she's the vice president at University of Alberta. Okay. So revolving door, um, you know. And then there's another ten executives, vice presidents at AHs who were installed by Rachel Notley, and most of whom are still there. Um, so you know. So I I didn't. Until now, I didn't realize the details
0: of what you've you've been through um, or how it integrated and kind of had uh, crossovers into what I've been dealing with. Because Carrie and I have had this discussion lots about how the government changes, but the bureaucracy behind it stays the same. And that's where the real power is, because they basically have to tell the government how to do things. Because a new minister who just got a ministerial role and never done it before, he doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do. They rely on the bureaucrats. So we've said... Um, almost from the very beginning of all this, that that whole upper echelon of AHS needs to just be gone because it's not. I mean, yeah, we can blame our politicians all we want, but if we don't fix the root cause of the problem, all we're doing is treating a symptom, and the disease is running rampant.
1: And I can tell you that um, you know I've I've reviewed um, you know the AHS organizational charts going back to the to the founding of AHS, and some of these. Executives that um, did horrible things under the Notley government and then continue doing horrible things uh, under the Kenny government during the pandemic. You know, some of them show up in the upper echelons of the HS executive back in 2010, 2011. Verna Yu, you can trace Verna Yu's um you know presence in the hs executive back to 2011 and then some of those people you can trace back their healthcare leadership positions in Alberta before hs was even formed mm. um so when we had you know the eight or nine different health authorities um and and so on um they were leaders of those health authorities so so the the bureaucracy that runs healthcare in Alberta um is is very heavily entrenched they're politically connected they're connected to pharmaceutical companies they're connected to multi-billion dollar construction companies mm-hmm. so when we saw for example um when Rachel Notley took over what is the first thing Rachel Notley did in healthcare when she took over in 2015. she signed a 1.6 billion dollar contract to build the, the new Calgary Cancer Center and she gave that over to a multi-billion dollar uh, corporation called PCL Construction um, and you see a lot of the executives that were involved in that deal have been involved in leadership of AHS throughout the pandemic as well. Um, so a lot of these are life, you know, I call them lifetime bureaucrats,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but they're extremely powerful individuals. Um, I've been told privately that, that when Kenny took over, they were, la- they were making fun of Kenny. They were saying, Kenny's not going to do anything. Uh, Kenny's not going to touch us. A- 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 and, 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 you know really the the arrogance that these ahs executives have is unbelievable um they really believe that they're the ones running the show in alberta and uh, you could see that during the, pan- the p- during the pandemic um when people started getting arrested for um you know violating um the you know the, the lockdowns and, and whatever other things you saw ahs right in the middle of that you know you saw uh, AHS getting court orders to you know go and have uh Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky arrested and that was all done by AHS uh, AHS lawyers had gone to court they had gotten a corrupt judge to sign off on that on that court order and and they pursued it they you know they ex- they executed it uh when it came to you know restaurants or, or cafes and so on and and obviously you know you, you were a victim of that as well. Um, again this was all mediated by AHS. Where was Jason Kenny in all this? Where was Health Minister Tyler Shandro in all this? Right? This was all done by HS and they were Sky Palace. Yeah. 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 Exactly.
0: Wow. Um, so I there's a burning question I have. Okay. With with what you're saying and um knowing how powerful and wealthy the people that you're speaking out against are um do you sleep well at night like how's are, are you are you concerned at all because I like I'm concerned just hearing about it like this is mm-hmm. pretty juicy pretty big things that m- arguably most Albertans and Canadians probably under they know they feel like these things go on yeah. but it's very rare to have someone actually stand up and speak out and say yes this is going on it's harming you folks. Or Don Cherry would say, "You people," and then they fire him. <laughs> but how does does that? How do you how do you feel about
1: all that? You know, the way I look at it is that um, if they wanted to do something physically to me, uh, maybe they 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 would have done it already. Um, a lot of these people are cowards. Now, what I've realized is that the leadership of Alberta Health Services, the executives, the vice presidents, they're grossly incompetent. However um they are backed by teams of corporate lawyers Mm -hmm. and so no matter what they do no matter uh, how many mistakes they make and and how incompetent their decisions are it is the lawyers that cover everything up that paper everything over and their access their unlimited access to unlimited taxpayer funds is basically what allows them to do anything they want i mean I've, I've i've joked i told my wife many times is that there, there's only one group of individuals who can get away with murder in alberta like completely get away with murder and that is ahs executives and ahs managers they can commit murder in broad daylight and they will 100 percent get away with it because the lawyers will will allow will make it happen um and and so really you know it's these people are cowards at heart Uh, these are not people who are highly accomplished these are people who are lifetime bureaucrats who have been put into powerful positions to serve corporate interests um you know they spend their entire life networking with individuals like themselves in other provinces uh so we see this sort of um uh, networking throughout canada you know when verna Yu uh was gently attacked by one of the ucp mlas who said that maybe she was making too much money and that maybe you know her um her management of the icu beds um and so on during the pandemic was incompetent um you know he was attacked by people from all over canada he was attacked by journalists from all over canada other healthcare executives from from other provinces so these people are heavily networked throughout canada uh, they have the protection of some of the best lawyers in Canada um it's very hard for someone like me to get to even get a lawyer because most law firms have a conflict of interest they they HS is is um they're on HS's payroll in one way or another the most big law firms in Alberta will not take a case against AHS because HS is their client again this is uh, this is something else that Albertans don't know um and, and so the healthcare corruption is also tied very deeply to alberta's legal system and alberta's judicial system Um, and i can go into that a little bit more you know when i talk about the college of physicians and surgeons of alberta which is run by lawyers Um, and and, uh, you know those lawyers often end up being judges and so on so it's a very networked heavily networked you know very integrated Uh, mafia and and you know when Kenny came into power he made a few you know suggestions that he might take on AHS and then we saw how he completely crumbled during the pandemic he completely went back on his promises all of his promises you know not to introduce a vaccine passport not to introduce vaccine mandates he caved on absolutely everything and we saw who was in charge and it was basically AHS was in charge
0: Mm -hmm. have you had any conversations with our new premier
1: um, not directly. Um, I've been in discussions with uh, various individuals who, um, you know, are, are either adv- advising or are connected to other people advising, but uh, not directly. No. So if if say say she happened to be watching right
0: at this moment, uh, and there was a message that you wanted to convey to Danielle Smith and her and her new well not new government but. Re- refurbished government what what would you say like with all of this stuff you told us what would you want to say to the premier and and the current government
1: well um the best advice i could give to uh you know premier danielle smith is if you're going to take on corruption in alberta's healthcare system and corruption at ahs do it now don't wait don't let Uh, millionaire lobbyists and advisors Mm -hmm. talk you out of going after corruption in our healthcare system and backing down because that's exactly what Kenny did and Kenny backed down completely Um, if you're going to tackle healthcare corruption you're up against um, uh, very wealthy people these are people who have multi-billion dollar interests multi-billion dollar contracts this is not a small thing this is a big thing um, and you need to go after HS leadership and cut off the head of the snake. now it's she's talked about the HS board. The HS board is nothing. The HS board is a paper tiger. it has no influence, no impact um these are people who are put on the HS board from you know, the, the community and what have you um uh, they are paid fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, in comparison, the HSCO Verna Yu and the HS Chief Medical Officer Francois Belanger they make seven hundred thousand dollars a year. They're mm-hmm. the ones making the decisions. The HS Executive makes the decision. The HS Board rubber stamps their decisions. So, uh, forget the HS Board. I mean, you can fire them. Sure, it, it, it's not going to change a single thing. You need to go after the top two or three layers of AHs management, and you need to root out these people and completely wipe them out out of AHS Um, you need to take over you know their their computers their offices their computers um, you know do investigations to see what they've been doing Uh, some of them like I said have been in power for close to a decade Um, and then you need to take over AHS legal because uh, what people don't understand is that AHS legal is the is the department that makes all the corruption happen at AHS um, and so you need to find a way to get control of AHS legal um, and fire all of those lawyers and then basically put in your own lawyers and people and see because AHS has hundreds of lawsuits that no one knows anything about. I have two active lawsuits against AHS and the media has been suppressing it for six years. Um, AHS has hundreds of lawsuits against them from uh, patients who who were harmed or killed by AHS, from nurses whose careers were destroyed uh, by AHS, uh, from doctors whose um, you know careers were destroyed, like myself, um, and so there is a huge database of of corruption that AHS legal manages, um, and it's really something that Albertans know absolutely nothing about. The fact that I'm outspoken and I'm I was speaking out on Twitter and Getter and so on, you know, that's the only really insight that Albertans get into the kind of corruption that's happening at AHS. And the other part of my advice to Danielle Smith would be, um, you have to simultaneously uh, take on the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and you have to dissolve the college. Like she's someone advised her that. You know that it might be worth dissolving the college and that was perfect advice i want to congratulate whoever gave her that advice the college has to be dissolved and i'll tell you why the college of physicians and surgeons of alberta is a private corporation Mm. it is a private corporation that does not answer to the government it is a private corporation that you cannot do a freedom of information access request to get any documents because they don't fall under they're not a public body So you have a private corporation that is controlling the medical licenses of 11,000 doctors in Alberta. You have a private corporation that is preventing doctors from treating COVID patients, Uh, just like they um, came after, um, uh, let's say, the license of Dr. Daniel Nagas, who tried to treat some patients with ivermectin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, AHS fired him, uh, removed his hospital privileges, and the college went after his medical license. Um, You know... The college is the one that's um, threatening any doctor who will stand up to vaccine mandates.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They will threaten any doctor who tried to write um, vaccine exemption letters for their patients that couldn't have the vaccine. And so uh, the college is run by lawyers as well. Now, these lawyers have a very, very deep history in Alberta. The top college lawyer, Craig Boyer, has been the head Um, the legal head of the college for 15 years, but his father, Donald Boyer, was the legal head of the college for another 40 years before that. This is one wealthy, multimillionaire Alberta family of lawyers controlling the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, and every legal uh, thing that happens at the college for the past close to 50 years. Um, And so you know, um, the second in line, uh, the associate registrar of the college is Dr. Michael Kafaro. His father, uh, Peter Mario Cafaro, was the associate chief justice of the Alberta Provincial Court for decades. He was one of the chief judges in Alberta for several decades. These are lawyer families that are running the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. They have deep ties to the pharmaceutical industries, Uh, They have deep ties to uh, construction industries in Alberta. They don't take orders from the government, provincial government, they take orders from somewhere else. And they have done tremendous amount of damage during the pandemic because we saw how how the college has been flexing its muscle and really attacking any doctors. Why do we have no other doctors speaking out about the abuses that happened during the pandemic, right? If you think about it, you can count those doctors on one hand right? You've got doctors who are retired, like Dr. Roger Hopkinson and Dr. Mm-hmm. Dennis Modry, yeah. um, and they're retired. And you've got, you know, Dr. Charles Hoff in BC. You've got Dr. Daniel Nagas, who worked in Alberta, but, you know, he he was working in, in, in other provinces as well. You've got myself, um, you know, you've got a couple of doctors in Ontario, Dr. Patrick Phillips, Dr. Jean-Marc Benoit, Dr. Kalvinder Kaur. That's it. I mean, Alberta has 11,000 doctors. How come Ten thousand nine hundred and ninety-five of them are silent, because the College of Physicians and, and Surgeons of Alberta will destroy their medical license and their career if they say one word against the um, the official narrative that's been pushed on us through the pandemic.
0: Does that remind you of your childhood, kind of?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting because um, you know, in, in the communist country, um, the corruption was kind of in the. In the in the out in the open and and so everyone knew that communists were bad that they were corrupt and people kept their mouths shut but we kind of all knew um or, or the vast majority of people knew you know the idea that someone would be um a brainwashed ideologue and would believe in communism and would you know believe in the government and the communist party like there was a very very small percentage of people who are believers probably the wealthy ones well <laughs> perhaps uh, whereas here in, in Canada, what you see is is the corruption is very much hidden. Um, and so what you have on the surface is you have people like, you know, Rachel Notley um, going around pretending that, you know, she there's 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 NDP has never engaged in any corruption ever. Uh, there's no scandals <laughs> with NDP when in reality, all the corruption and all the scandals are underneath the surface Uh, They're papered over by lawyers and the media, which makes sure that nothing ever gets out into the media that would be an an AHS scandal. And I just want to bring up a quick point uh, about the AHS board. When Rachel Notley got into power in 2015, she put Sarah Hoffman in as, as Minister of Health. And Sarah Hoffman reconstituted the AHS board, which had been dissolved by the conservatives in 2013. Now, she put in charge of the AHS board... Uh, the H.S. board chair, Linda Hughes, who was a former CEO of the Edmonton Journal. And so what you have now is you had the board chair of AHS during the entire NDP government was the former CEO of the Edmonton Journal. And I remember there was a journalist um, at the Edmonton Journal called Keith Garain, who was the kind of the head journalist for anything healthcare related in Alberta. And I spoke to him about my lawsuits when I filed my lawsuits. And he basically told me, he said, I-, I can't run your story. Sorry. Um, and so what we saw during NDP is that any corruption scandals that would have arisen out of AHS were covered up by the media. And so now Rachel is parading herself around like, you know, she was the part of this, you know, corruption free government. Uh, when in reality, if, if if even a fraction of the corruption scandals that happened under Rachel Notley and Sarah Hoffman had gotten out into the media, we would have no Rachel Notley today. We would have no Sarah Hoffman because their political careers would be over. Well, so we have a different type of media now, don't we, Carrie? <laughs> yes.
2: Now it has, well, it's good to have independent media to actually report on this stuff so that you know we don't have to account for anything but like for me just just listening to you and hearing that danielle smith said that uh you know she was going to fire the ahs board do you think maybe she said that on purpose as opposed to saying the exec and the legal like you said that that's really what she should be going after that's part one and then part two deals with uh the college of physician and you're right like um uh Dr. Hodgkinson has always said that, you know, they're corrupt and, 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 you know, we need to get rid of them and, and what can we do? So I guess in the end is like, what can we as just lowly Albertans, uh, do going forward on this,
0: the, the members of the small fringe minority Fringe minority.
1: Well, uh, so the, so the first part of your question is about the HS board. And I think I think she mentioned that because I think people understand the concept of the board yeah. a little better than talking about, you know, this executive, that executive. Um, you know, in 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 the sense of when you look at a structure of a business, if you talk about firing the board of directors of a business, you're basically firing the leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elon Musk takes over Twitter, he fires the Twitter board. Huh. Right. Yeah. For example, awesome. Uh, and 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 so I I think she may be using that language because it's easier to understand and it's easier for people to um, connect with uh, and to say oh okay well that's the power of AHS and it isn't the power of AHS but um, you know maybe legally the board should have or, or the board has more power legally but in practice it is the AHS executives who make the, the big decisions. Mm-hmm. But I think there's been a few times where she has mentioned replacing the upper AHS management as well. Yeah. And, and and so yeah, so my advice to her would be absolutely have to do both. Um, you can't just fire the AHS board because and then leave the entire executive in place, mm-hmm. you know, who basically make all the major decisions, you got to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also with the college, um, the college is a very interesting scenario, because Uh, what you saw was the media and ndp came and attacked danielle smith very viciously and they basically made it seem like if you dissolve the college that basically healthcare in alberta will fall apart Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely not true Uh, now the college exists um it was constituted by the provincial government under the health professions act and it exists to basically allow doctors to regulate themselves and and to to regulate the profession in such a way that you ensure that the people who are practicing medicine in Alberta are are qualified to do that and to practice medicine. Now it's of course become much more than that. the the, the college has become basically a muscle of of, of the AHS hmm. um or, or the enforcement arm of AHS where they attack good doctors and protect bad doctors. And all of this is done with lawyers, and and in ways in lawyers who are um, who spent their in, you know entire career uh, finding loopholes in the Health Professions Act, where they can you know manipulate uh, the loopholes, the legal loopholes to, like I said, protect bad doctors and go after good doctors. Um, and so she can absolutely dissolve the college. I've said she can dissolve the college in a week. She can make an amendment. She can table a bill, an mm-hmm. amendment to the Health Professions Act uh that dissolves the college and reconstitutes a brand new medical board uh in the states they have medical boards you can call it the alberta medical board you can put um you can put new people in charge of that medical board who are uh, doctors honest doctors uh and you can put it directly under the ministry of health no private corporation it's a public entity it's accountable to the public it's accountable to albertans it can it should be you can FOIP it so you you can do freedom of information requests it is directly accountable to the health minister uh, of the province, and of course, it has very—it it could have very powerful judicial oversight, none of which is present right now. And honestly, with a team of good lawyers, she could make that amendment in one week, uh, table it, it can go through first, second reading, third reading, you know, I mean, it could be passed in a week or two. Um, And I think she knows that. I I think she knows that. But it would be the first time anyone has ever tried to do that in Canada. Uh, Because like I said, these are kind of old, established, sort of, you know, mafia Mm -hmm. uh, entities that no one has taken on in the past, because, you know, the governments either had no interest in tackling that kind of corruption, um, or they benefited from Uh, you know, the, the activities that the college engages in. And, and so, you know, all of that can be done. Now, what can regular Albertans do? I mean, regular Albertans can basically, you know, they can write to the health minister. They can write to Danielle Smith, uh, write to your MPs, um, sorry, MLAs and, and really just uh, show your support, um, for, for cleaning up corruption in our healthcare system. Because, um, you know, uh, what we saw during the last you know, two years, the kind of abuses that we've seen in Alberta are completely unprecedented. And and people have seen this for themselves. Uh, and, And sure, maybe Alberta didn't have the absolute worst of it in Canada, but we had complete, you know, elimination of medical ethics. We've had experimental injections forced on people with no ability to opt out, with no ability to get exemptions. People have lost jobs because of this. People have lost their lives because of this. Now we have a mountain of vaccine-injured people who are being ignored, who are being made fun of. And, 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 you know, all of the, the health establishment, all it's doing is it's basically pushing the vaccines. They're still doing it. They're still pushing the vaccines. Until recently, we've had illegal and unethical vaccine mandates that have damaged our healthcare system. You know, we've had thousands of healthcare workers pushed into early retirement uh, or pushed out of Alberta completely because of the vaccine mandates, because they didn't want to take the injection as is their right to, to refuse. Uh, and now everyone's complaining that our healthcare system's collapsing. Everyone's complaining that we have 20 hour wait times in emergency rooms. Everyone's complaining that half the emergency rooms are closed because we have no staff, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so this is something that, uh, you know, has to be tackled um you know people think that i i have some axe to grind or 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 that you know it's it's some kind of a personal vendetta and it's not it's it's you know the the abuses that these healthcare leaders engage in you know yes they've done it to me in the past but during the pandemic in the past two years they've done it to every albertan you know every albertan has been affected uh, by these abuses in one way or another. we're all we're all suffering, you know, because of it. And I think Danielle Smith is in a perfect position. I think I think the timing is perfect because there's there's been a huge shift yeah. um to back towards free speech, you know, let's say, with Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Mm-hmm. um and then with with really, you know, just the the flood of of vaccine injuries being, you know, coming out and being talked about. Uh, she's she's at a perfect time, at a perfect place, and I'll and i and I'll say it again, if I have advice to give to her, it is get rid of any advisor who's telling you to back off AHS and the college mm-hmm. um, or put those advisors to the side because there will be multimillionaire and billionaire interests who will advise her to back off AHS and the college because they want to keep their deals going um, because they have their people already bribed at AHS. Uh, so why why rock the boat right um i would say do it and do it quickly and and have no mercy uh and do it thoroughly go after ahs go after the college um those are the two big entities you know you've got the alberta medical association that's also corrupt but they're kind of um you know they're a much smaller bureaucracy and they don't have that much uh impact on on healthcare in alberta
0: so A phrase comes to mind, and we heard this, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. It sounds like we need to drain the swamp. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the swamp is much wider than we originally anticipated. Like I, my whole life, I thought, oh, it's politicians. It's politicians' fault. They're so bad, it's politicians. It's not just politicians. This is much bigger. Yeah. You know,
2: we we had Leighton Gray on uh, the other day and we he was talking about uh, the chief medical officer, um, uh, Alberta and uh, BC. And a question came up that, uh, you know, why, why is this just happening in Alberta or why is it just happening in BC? But in fact, it's actually happening across Canada. And because everybody's kind of got their own version of a chief medical officer, they've got their own version of... Uh, uh a health services group and they've also got their own version of a college so this happens in uh, again across across the country and um you know i think alberta needs to take that first step and then show the rest of the country what needs to be done in order to drain the swamp we need to lead by example yeah that's great and we are in a great place to be able to do that
1: yeah you're absolutely right and and one thing that um you know I think one of Jason Kenney's big mistakes was not firing Dina Hinshaw when when he took over yeah. uh, Dina Hinshaw was hired by Rachel Notley in January 2019 um and in fact I I think um uh, some of her staff chief of staff I think one of one of her staff was is actually from Wuhan China mm-hmm. uh, Dr Jin Hu um the uh, deputy CMOH exactly Mm -hmm. and so what you noticed is both of those were put in by rachel Notley in the beginning of 2019 Mm -hmm. and jason kenney comes and takes over and and dina hinshaw works for alberta health not for alberta health services so she works for the provincial government he should have fired her and her staff immediately put his own people in but he didn't and that that that, that's always perplexed me why Mm -hmm. did he do that and so what we saw was at the beginning of the pandemic um you guys might remember that the NDP loved Dina Hinshaw. They put her on mugs, they put her on t-shirts. Yes, they they, did. Yeah. they really like treated her they like a They named a dinosaur after her. <laughs> yeah. And and so you know there was that question, you know how they say what would Jesus do? They said what would Dina Hinshaw do, right? And so they absolutely loved Dina Hinshaw and again you you have to start asking yourself why. Uh, you know this is now Dina Hinshaw gets a paycheck from UCP so why does ndp love her so much right and then really what we saw was basically dina hinshaw pretty much fell in line with all the other um you know public health uh, officials throughout canada yeah. right i mean she didn't stray that much from what was happening in in bc in, or, or in ontario and maybe you know she got some bonuses from ucp to tweak the pandemic response ever so slightly you know that nice $200,000 bonus she got uh last year but um she really fell in line with with every other public health official in alberta okay she opened up alberta for a couple of months for the stampede right mm-hmm. um in the summer of, of of 2021 um but you know why why didn't kenny fire her right why did he keep a rachel notley hired and appointed official with her entire staff uh, from you know the NDP government, and and so you know to me that was a huge blunder, um, and another huge blunder was when you know Kenny um, was elected, he kept AHS CEO Verna Yu in power over AHS for three years. Now Verna Yu, like I said, I mean she'd been in the healthcare leadership positions at AHS for a decade and probably longer, but. She she got a beautiful uh, contract, five year contract, golden contract from Rachel Notley in December two thousand fifteen. Um, th- actually, she I think she got the contract in June or July two thousand sixteen. I actually have her contract. I downloaded it from the AHS website before they deleted it. Um, and so she had a five year contract of running AHS, you know, with a seven hundred thousand dollars salary with bonuses, maybe a little bit more with bribes. Um, and you know Jason Kenny. Jason Kenny comes in, and he keeps her in place. And her entire staff, he keeps her in charge of AHS for a full three years. And what we saw with um, with Verna Yu was in October of um, 2021, she came out and said, "I will implement a vaccine mandate on all of Alberta's 105,000 healthcare workers." Yeah, she did right. it. She did it unilaterally. Um, There was no opposition from Jason Kenney or Tyler Shandro. In fact, they refused to even comment in the media. She did it unilaterally. It caused tremendous upheaval. In fact, uh, when the deadline came for uh, people to submit their vaccination status, 26,000 AHS workers refused to submit their vaccination status, and so they only had a 68% uh, double vaccination rate or full vaccination at the time. And so what they did was they bumped a lot of those people onto casual status so that they could then say they have a 90% um, you know, vaccine uptake uh, rate at AHS. And then they got rid of a lot of those people. And Kenny didn't do anything, right? Kenny basically kept his mouth shut during that entire... Um, uh procedure and and that vaccine mandate was being pushed all across Canada uh in in the states as well you you saw it in Europe you know the vaccine mandates were rolled out internationally with the same deadline October 15th 2021 was a was a deadline for um either healthcare workers or city workers to be fully vaccinated in Alberta in other places in Canada in Chicago and Philadelphia in Italy um there you know there were even places in in Africa where workers had to be double vaccinated by October 15, 2021. This was globally rolled out um this vaccine mandate which did so much damage to our healthcare system and again Kenny did absolutely nothing. So imagine, you know, Danielle Smith on her first day as premier, she doesn't even have a seat yet, and she says, "I'm firing Dina Hinshaw and mm-hmm. I'm I'm replacing her with a, a team of 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 individuals" Uh, in her place. Something that Kenny couldn't do in three years as Premier. Yeah. So I don't want you to let the cat out of the bag of, if you know,
0: but do you know who is uh, slated to be on her advisory committee? He may not know. I know some yeah. names. Okay. But, oh, okay. With, <laughs> yeah, in, some, uh, in some conversations I've had with her, in some conversations I've had um, I'm excited for the advisory committee because some of the people on it are uh you know they're very very smart people and I know that at the their core is to ensure the health of Albertans it's not to push a vaccine or to um restrict whatever or whatever their goal is health that's yeah. it and if any of those things contribute or increase the overall health of Albertans they will advocate for it if those things don't they're going to say we're not going to do it so I'm I'm really excited for that to happen, and uh, we're yeah, kind of getting honestly, down to the, the the end zone now. For that, I, it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the next two weeks. Exactly.
1: And and honestly, I mean, I'm I'm not going to you know uh, bring up any names or anything like that. I'll I'll sort of like you said, I'll we'll let things you know take yeah. take their course. Let her put her team together. You know, let her get her her seat and so on. Um, but again, I would say a lot of the um, a lot of the healthcare Leaders who find their names into the media, um, and and media articles in CBC, CTV, Global, and so on, you will find that they have a pretty much a unanimous approach. It's vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you know the the stronger you, you push the vaccine, you know the more uh, the more media time you get, and and, and so um, you know Brian Brian Jean made this uh what i what i feel was a mistake during during the leadership um run uh was that you know he talked about how he would have brought rachel notley in in on you know advice for the pandemic and you know he started reaching out really to some ndp activist doctors uh as well like dr zaidi who had accused the tyler shandro of you know yelling at him on on his driveway you know he reached out to him and and, and this is a very you know, very aggressive NDP activists. A lot of these NDP activist doctors, all they care about is pushing the vaccine. They don't care about anything else. They have no other ideas. They have no other approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is is any other kinds of you know treatments for COVID? Forget it. They they say there's no treatment for COVID, even though that's not true. Um, you know, Man. all they know is how to sell the vaccine. And 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 so you know, Danielle Smith. I I know she wants a diversity of voices and i think that is important um but you know i would be uh, wary of um you know individuals who who were in leadership positions in healthcare in alberta who all they've done is sell the vaccine and nothing else they have nothing else to offer um you know we get plenty of those individuals you know we we see them in the media all the time we see rachel notley calling them out um and, and, you know, um, bringing them out to NDP rallies and, and so on, you know, Dr. Darren Markland, Dr. Joe Vipond, um, these guys are, you know, Dr. Tessin Ladha, um, Dr. Shazma Mithani. I mean, these are hardcore NDP activists who all they've done is push the vaccine. And, and it's not that they've just pushed the vaccine is that they've completely ignored vaccine injuries vaccine deaths Mm -hmm. they've completely ignored the the number one cause of death in alberta which is currently unknown you've got over 3000 albertans who died last year due to unknown cause um you know these doctors have offered absolutely nothing under them they're basically pfizer and moderna sales reps that's all they are and and so you know i would not put these people in any kind of position of power we actually need to get rid of um you know a lot of these corrupt healthcare leaders at ahs and the college and not cycle them back into the government or you know uh put them back in charge somewhere else because that's they're going to push themselves and and try to put themselves you know in positions of power in you know in 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 her new government and so she has to be very careful who, sh- who she allies herself with uh, because there are a lot of unethical doctors in Alberta who get tremendous media support, tre- tremendous support from NDP. And, you know, I, I know who a lot of them are. Um, and I think they should be kept out of these, you know, these these advisory positions. There's nothing
0: new under the sun. And as you were describing those doctors that are pushing this agenda, um, I-, I was thinking about the College of Physicians and Surgeons and how they're attacking the doctors that stand up. And Mm -hmm. I've been saying there's nothing new under the sun for a long time. And it's true because if these are the same type of people who, well, a few hundred years ago, threatened to burn Galileo at the stake for daring to say that the earth was round and not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. I mean, these scientists refuse to accept anything other than the status quo. They refuse to actually be scientists and question things. And when somebody did, they persecuted them to the point where they actually backed down. I mean, eventually Galileo had to retract his statements and and say, well, you know what, you guys, whatever, do what you do. But I'm going to watch uh, the universe as it, you know, it unfolds around me. But there really isn't anything new. And we see examples of this all throughout history, all throughout medicine, all throughout scientists or science, scientists, science, people who dare to stand up and speak out. Which is what we should be doing in order to to grow and learn. Um, there's this weird group of people that just want to destroy them, mm-hmm. and it boggles my mind. Like, why is it greed? Is it lust of wealth or something that makes these people like completely set aside what it means to be a human being
1: and and act like this? Well, honestly, uh, I think where it comes from is that they're following the lead of the medical institutions that were captured very early in the pandemic and really the the erosion and destruction of medical ethics that we saw it kind of came from top down um and you look at any any healthcare institution whether it's the ahs leadership whether it's the college in alberta whether it's the alberta medical association whether it's the canada medical association as you know Mm -hmm. i wrote to the canadian medical association about the 80 canadian doctors who've died suddenly or unexpectedly i've asked them to investigate it and they've said they've come out and said this is misinformation um you know and and we're not going to investigate it and you know we encourage uh canadians to keep taking their vaccines and boosters and stay up to date on their vaccines so i, I think you know doctors in, in medicine doctors are very hierarchical so um a lot of this um behavior this unethical behavior has really come top down um you know your frontline you know family doctor may not be as aggressive in pushing the vaccines but you know early in the pandemic we saw all these Healthcare institutions uh, implement really, really aggressive measures and just throw medical ethics out the window, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, when you have colleges going after the licenses of doctors who are just trying to treat their COVID patients, and honestly, uh, whether it's ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, I know that um, you know those medications have been smeared, um, but um, those are both are approved medications. Uh, we can certainly use any medication off-label that's approved and safe for use. It is absolutely unethical and illegal for anybody to get in between a patient, a, a physician and their patient, mm-hmm. um, you know, and start meddling in how a physician should treat their patient. You know, I mean, we don't go through decades of training to then have some government body bureaucrat that has, hasn't seen a patient in 20 years. Tell us, wait a minute, you can't treat with ivermectin because then I can't sell my vaccines. Yeah. Right. Okay. And and so we saw this very early on. These these institutions, uh, healthcare institutions really just go on an aggressive offensive against anyone who would not uh sort of fall into the to the narrative. And anyone who you know didn't want to push the vaccines aggressively, they went after them and and they try to make examples out of them. They're still doing it like um. Um, U.S. um, cardiologist from Texas, Dr. Peter McCullough, they just stripped him of his of his credentials and his medical license. They're still going after Dr. Daniel Nagas, right? Even I've been threatened, and I'm not regulated by the college because I'm, you know, I've put myself into uh, early retirement because of the legal actions. And they're still even threatening me, even when I just co-signed a letter to HSCO Vernayu saying that you know vaccine mandates. Are unethical and shouldn't be implemented in Alberta. Mm-hmm. I was threatened by the college, even though they don't regulate me anymore. Um, so I think the abuse comes from the institutions that are corrupt. They're completely captured by, by big pharma. Um, and unfortunately in Alberta, it's as bad as anywhere else in Canada. Um, you know, whether it's Ontario or BC, the institutional capture is complete. Um, and so a lot of the doctors who want to make a name for themselves during the pandemic and have large Twitter followings like Dr. Darren Markland, like Dr. Joe Vipond. You know, these guys have 50,000 followers on Twitter each. Uh, Dr. Shazma Mithani, Dr. Tahseen Ladha have maybe 10, 15,000 followers each in Alberta. And these doctors who want to make a name for themselves, they see how the institutions are abusing other doctors who are raising concerns, Mm -hmm. and they engage in the same behavior because they believe That they'll be protected by the same corrupt institutions that are doing the same to their colleagues.
0: But they won't because uh, I don't, there's a a very large and growing number of us that have said enough and we're not doing this anymore. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we did have a small victory. Um, Are you aware of the legal action that the ATA took against the Alberta government regarding? removal of masks on uh, um, children in school.
1: I don't know if it was the same one that the judgment that was given recently or if it's a different one. I'm, I'm not sure. You...
0: It's probably the same one. So basically the uh, the ATA um, was fun. It was it was funded by the NDP and NDP. Um, they basically took Dina Henshaw and the Alberta government to court because they said by removing masks from children, you're violating their charter rights. Uh, mm-hmm. You're putting the children at risk. And there was some other stuff they said, which was complete malarkey. But what the judge said in the ruling, uh,
1: this was uh, Dunlop, I believe. Grant I can't- Dunlop. Do, do you want to know something about Judge Grant Dunlop? Mm-hmm. Sure. He was one of my lawyers when I filed my lawsuit against HS in 2016. This is starting to get
0: like completely... You cannot write this stuff. <laughs> this, this is...
1: Uh, wow i'm not joking he just ruled now I had this two, might yeah, sound I, like, I had, sorry i had two lawyers when when i filed my first lawsuit against ahs yeah and it was rod washalition and grant dunlop from ogilvy llp wow hmm. so this might sound like a loss he ruled that dana hinshaw's order to remove
0: the masks from the children's schools was illegal and the, the reason it was illegal is because she did not follow um the way she was supposed to do things under a public health emergency. Had it been a public emergency, it it may have been okay, but the Alberta government chose to go with a public health emergency to limit their exposure and their accountability because it all fell on the CMOH. But what Dina Hinshaw did, instead of acting in her capacity as Alberta's top doctor, she became a political pawn for cabinet and, and the Alberta government And she went to them and she took direction from the government as to what path um, Alberta Health was going to take for the health of Albertans. Now, the government has no business in medicine. They have nothing to offer. Um, All of their decisions are all political. It's nothing to do with science or medicine. And yet our CMOH took direction from cabinet and from the government. So Judge Dunlop said that's not how things are done so her orders are not in the capacity they're supposed to be done in and they're illegal but guess what all of them were illegal because they were all done like that so there have been some very interesting turns turn of events here and as we have more conversations and talk about this stuff it gets more and more interesting this is why we don't have to watch tv anymore all we have to (laughs) do is talk to people and find out like truth about reality yeah. And the entertainment value was just spectacular.
1: Yeah. Well, and 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 interestingly, you know, that, that now sets a precedent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, but but I mean, you know, Danielle Smith is replacing Dina Hinshaw, which I think is 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 the right move. Yeah. And and I think it's um I think also replacing her with a team is also a right move because what we see is that you know the media is just going after uh Danielle Smith for anything and everything and really anyone that you know Danielle Smith talks to or gets advice from Mm -hmm. is being attacked the same way so for example you know when um during the recent um debate that you know they had in her writing you know where there was a mention that you know there'd be Dr Paul Alexander um who you know might wish to offer some advice uh, or, or even Dr. Peter McCullough, yeah. um, you know, just the, just to, just the very mention that she would listen to these doctors um, and and want to hear what they have to say. You know, the media is just trying to crucify her for for that, right? And and so I, I think she's going to be she's going to be have have to be very savvy, um, you know, in the way she handles the media because our media in Alberta is very um I mean very corrupt but it's also very in sort of the NDP camp yeah it's very biased very biased um and and honestly uh, one thing I want to bring up um you know um with all of this is that um I really think that Danielle Smith should start exposing publicly some of the corruption scandals that have happened you know at AHS and the college over the last six years because Albertans wanna know. Albertans yeah. like Albertans have a sense that you know that AHS has been corrupt and that there's been a lot of bad things that have happened at AHS. You know, a lot of people know people who either work for AHS or have been harmed as patients. Mm-hmm. You know, I get I get those emails all the time. And so, and legally, there is so much that AHS has done. That Albertans don't know about. I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about not just my legal case, but other legal cases, other doctors who've been um harmed by AHS and what they've done. Um, And really, I think it would be very interesting if Danielle Smith sort of took the narrative, NDP's narrative away from the media, mm-hmm. because NDP, whenever anything is said about AHS, NDP immediately redirects it and makes it look like an attack on frontline healthcare workers yeah. and that's absolutely not the case um we're trying NDP to help even, them mm-hmm. well and the thing is is that recently some doctors have started coming out and started posting hashtags i am ahs frontline doctors who you know, are yes. left-leaning right yeah and, and so what ndp does is that they shield these corrupt bureaucrats at ahs whom they hired they shield them behind the frontline healthcare workers and they'll say, Oh, Danielle Smith, you're attacking frontline healthcare workers, right? And then the media runs with that um, and makes it look like Danielle Smith is trying to attack frontline healthcare workers, which is absolutely not the case. And so if she, you know, finds a way to start exposing the actual corruption um, in the management and in the executive at AHS. Uh, the College uh, Alberta Medical Association, as well. Um, you know that could really turn the narrative, um, certainly in the media, um, and you know in the public discourse. And I think Albertans want to know what's been happening. I mean, we give half of our, you know, taxpayer money to AHS every single year, twenty-three billion dollars, and we have no idea what happens with the money, right?
0: So, Kerry brought up an interesting point here, and it's kind of a hot topic these days. Uh, You mentioned October 15th was kind of like the global deadline to get all this done. And it was being pushed and being pushed. And we know who is pushing it. It was the World Health Organization um, in conjunction with the World Economic Forum and their guidelines on um, global health. What was the what's the term for it, Carrie? It's global health guidelines or something like that. Basically, central planning for the entire globe that dictates everything from the economy, health, um, climate control, everything. It's all dictated by a central uh, central planning group. And it's been uncovered that th- these groups are and have been operating in Alberta and in Canada for years. And yeah. it's getting to the point now where some of their horrible policies and their like blatantly flawed ideologies are making their way into government policy. Now, Premier Danielle Smith has said that she doesn't want Alberta to have anything to do with them and wants to eject them from Alberta. So in the context of what we've been discussing here, uh, what's your views on this idea of central planning for health and that that's uh, implemented some of these policies that have um, harmed the people of Alberta?
1: I think um, probably the number one priority is to get control of these institutions um, and their leadership, right? So clean up the the leadership of AHS, and the college, uh, put in people who are honest um and, and whom Danielle Smith trusts. Um, I think that would be the number one priority. And then um, you know, you really would need lawyers to carefully go over the uh the legis- the legislation that governs, that governs healthcare in Alberta and carefully look at you know how that legislation has been altered. Um over the past, you know, 5 years or so mm-hmm. uh because uh in my experience really um with AHS lawyers is that you know even even the slight changes in in wording in 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 a bill uh, or in a piece of legislation can change the outcome very drastically. So mm-hmm. so so I think she needs to have a legal team go over um whether it's you know the health professions act um or or other bills that regulate healthcare in Alberta um you know she need, she has to have lawyers go over those bills extremely carefully and see um what is in there what has been placed in there by either you know Jason Kenney's government whom i don't trust at all mm. um or Rachel Notley's government which we know was basically acting as the branch of Trudeau Liberals in in Alberta for you know four years mm. Um, and, and so, you know, that's the way I would, I would approach it. I mean, of course I'm not a lawyer, uh, but I do know that a lot of this legislation has, you know, things put in there that then allow, uh, all kinds of abuses to, to take place. And, you know, I mean, during the pandemic, you know, the, the UCP government even gave Dina Hinshaw expanded powers, um, as well, right? So that needs to be looked at also. Um, but you got to take control of these institutions first, because um, when you look at specifically the vaccine mandate and the fact that Verna Yu unilaterally implemented this vaccine mandate in lockstep with jurisdictions all over the world, I would want to know um, who advised her yes. on, or who instructed her to do this, mm-hmm. right? Now well, you just said it. Who? Yeah, and <laughs> that's right. Unfortunately, you know yes she was fired by jason kenny a few months ago but then ndp was screaming that verna you had signed a non-disclosure agreement with ucp and they wanted to see what was in that non-disclosure agreement i want to see what's in that non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. Why? right and so and, and 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 also after six years of corruption how did verna you end up landing a job as and get a soft landing uh, as the vice president of University of Alberta, uh, you would think that you know, there would be teams of lawyers investigating Verna Yu's actions for the past six years, including during the pandemic, and the decisions that she made, uh, and of course the money that she managed. Um, and instead, you know, she gets a non-disclosure agreement and a nice cushy job at uh, University of Alberta, which is again, a hotbed of NDP activism and has been for a long time. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, I mean, there's, you know, Danielle Smith has her work cut out for her. Um, but like I said, it's going to be very important for her to surround herself with people who want to see action, um, you know, with, in respect to our healthcare system at AHS and the college and not people who have corporate interests. And they don't want to rock the boat because they have some multi-billion dollar contract to build a hospital or super lab or what have you uh, in Alberta that they themselves are invested in, right? If, if if And I've been told privately that there are people in Danielle Smith's circle who are advising her back off AHS, back off the college. She needs to either get rid of those people or ignore them or, or put them aside because... Uh, if she follows the same track as Jason Kenney, where we'll she fire her into, too, where she comes into power yeah. with a lot of promises and then she backs off everything, uh, we are like the UCP is going to lose twenty twenty three by a landslide. Mm. Um, you know she'll be a, a six month uh, premier and or whatever seven month premier and that'll be that. Uh, if she backs off, she she has to. Uh, stay on the path. And, you know, if, if she's promised that she's going to tackle, you know, corruption at AHS and the college, I say, do it, follow through and and do it quickly. Um, do it thoroughly, you know, and, and, and follow through because um, these guys, uh, especially at, in the leadership positions of AHS, they're, you know, they're surrounded by corporate legal teams. You give them time to adjust, yeah. They're going to adjust. They're going to make themselves even harder to get rid of. So you got to tackle it quickly. Well,
0: fortunately for us and for Albertans and for Canadians, uh, we have had the good fortune to meet with some really, really good constitutional expert lawyers who are more than willing to tackle these problems with Premier Smith. Uh, I mean, we've talked to Layton Gray and Jeff Rath. I believe Jeff Rath. Jeff Rath is on her uh, transition team. Uh, As legal counsel. And these guys, like they're chomping at the bit to start going down the legal avenues and looking at some of the things like you've mentioned, Uh, for instance, how it was, how it came to be that the Alberta government basically took all of the power that they could ever possibly have by enacting a, a, a public health emergency and then using that mechanism to direct the CMOH, who was supposed to make the decisions as to what policies Alberta was going to follow, mm-hmm. the, that's what the government did. They 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 effectively used something that's supposed to be to our benefit, and that is that in some circumstances the CMOH has to be able to do whatever she needs to do to manage something effectively. You have to have that, but in this, the government took that power and used it for their own for their own uh, purposes, and we got to figure out how that happened. And how to make sure it never happens again while ensuring that if a CMOH does have to take absolute control of a situation in order to benefit the people of Alberta, she can still do it because it's a very fine line. It's a very tricky line. And I agree with you in that she has a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of really good people, really smart people, infinitely smarter than me and way smarter than Carrie. Who it's- actually want to make this stuff happen and make some changes for the for the better? And you are one of them, sir. Like this, some of the, I the, this conversation has just uh, it's it's more than I anticipated, and I'm I'm extremely grateful for it because you shed some light on this, and you've reminded me I've always felt that there was corruption at the heart of this. Like mm-hmm. you you had that feeling, and I could see it going on around me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't have near the in depth. um, Uh, exposure to it as you have but now you've basically tied up a lot of my thoughts and feelings and opinion in fact and you've stated it out there plain as day and and all these things are starting to come together and i think that's going to happen for more and more people in alberta which is very encouraging because as far as i know the first step to solving a problem is admitting that you have one and uh that's finally coming to light that we have a serious problem here
1: yeah and honestly um it's important to sort of bring together people who've had, uh, you know, these types of experience, like, like I've had, um, you know, like other people have had, because usually what happens is, is we get, as individuals, we get steamrolled mm-hmm. by these huge corporate entities like AHS, like the college. Uh, I mean, the fact that I'm talking to you right now is, is pretty much nothing short of a miracle because I've been dragged to court, uh, you know, 20 times. Um I've had four injunction applications filed against me by AHS and the college and the University of Alberta in 2018 to have me permanently silenced by the court and to have the court suspend my charter rights to freedom of expression. They actually brought me to court and they told the judge please uh, you got to suspend Mackis' uh, charter rights to freedom of expression because he's exposing corruption at AHS and the college and and he's naming all these executives and you know they're being defamed and so on. Um, and you have to silence him because you know, uh, and they 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 quoted some loopholes from 50 years ago, and the judge laughed at them. Uh, this was Judge Terrence Claxon, and he laughed at them and he said, Are you guys serious? Like you know, if, if you claim that MAC is, is defaming AHS executives, why have you not filed a defamation claim? Why are you pursuing injunctions, applications with all kinds of loopholes? Just file a defamation claim and do it that way. And they stood there in silence because I, I don't, I don't make stuff up. Um, you know, I, when I make an accusation, I can back it up right uh-huh. and, and and so that failed judge threw it out yeah. um you know that court decision is uh 2020 abqb 245 where basically now i'm allowed to say whatever i want um about ahs the college what have you um w- what is part of my personal experience but the thing is is that you know taxpayer they've used taxpayer money uh, in all these court proceedings to try to silence me. and I've basically either used my money or I've represented myself. And so you know we need to get together a lot more individuals who've been harmed and damaged uh, or attacked by these corporate entities and you know, get all the ideas together and 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 get it out there because you know, I have a lot of good ideas, other people have good ideas. Um, we need to pool that that knowledge. Uh, because, you know, Danielle Smith is up against some very wealthy corporate interests um, in regards to AHS. Uh, You know, this is no small entity that, you know, these are people who make multi-billion dollar decisions like it's nothing. Um, And so, and in fact, um, I have a court decision where an AHS executive, uh, Dr. Matthew Parliament, who was the head of AHS Cancer Care, went on record and he said at the time it was 15 billion dollars he said we have 15 billion dollars revenue and if we damage a doctor and we have to pay out uh, a settlement then we have more than enough money to pay for it he said this under oath and basically what he showed was that these hs executives treat taxpayer money like revenue like it's their own money like it's money that they've made in this business of running healthcare when in fact it's taxpayer money and they are public officials who are supposed to represent taxpayers and provide proper healthcare, right? But they see this as their own business and this is, you know, their money. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm getting a little long-winded here, I'm sorry, but um, all that to say is that, you know, there I know there are a lot of people who have a lot of good ideas and we got to pull all this information together and and and, you know, get it into the right hands um and so that Danielle Smith can actually have some success in tackling this this corruption
0: so do you have this stuff compiled and and easy to access in some format or another
1: yeah um like I said it's I have I have a treasure trove of of documents of information of knowledge of experience I mean I've I've basically if you think about it I have spent over a thousand hours dealing interacting with uh, ahs lawyers um uh the top lawyers of ahs legal for the past six years and also with college lawyers as well now i know that the college is much weaker than ahs because their lawyers take their direction from ahs lawyers and and they basically all they do is they duplicate any actions that are taken by by ahs but that that still is like i said the college is sort of the um the the muscle of ahs that keeps doctors in line um and because of their control of the medical licenses, you know they keep doctors in line but you know I I I have a wealth of experience and and knowledge. I've been to court 20 times I've been in front of 12 judges. I can tell you which judge is corrupt.
0: Mm-hmm. I can
1: tell you, you know, like I said judge Grant Dunl- Dunlop for example was my lawyer yeah. uh you know six years ago I, I hired him as my lawyer um you know i have another uh, lawyer who became the president of the law society of alberta um i know that there are uh, corrupt um college lawyers who were then appointed as judges by the trudeau government and and uh, one of them now sits in the alberta court of appeal i can tell you who that is um you know i mean in one hour in during this discussion you know it's it's uh, not enough time to to tell you everything i <laughs> i know and and you know the individuals involved but yeah, I have all that information, so, wow. uh, and I'm happy to share what I can with you know with the right people, and of course where it's actually going to make a difference. I was willing to do that with the Kenny government, and they were not willing to they were not willing to use that information. And I saw you know Kenny was getting hammered in the media many times. Um, he was being falsely accused of certain things. Um, he could have taken on AHS, and he could have been a hero. He could have really been uh, an Alberta hero had he taken on that corruption. You know, got rid of Hinshaw, got rid of Verna Yu, and he didn't do any of it. Mm-hmm. And now he's gone. So we got to start start over again.
0: Well, I have an idea. You know what would be amazing is if we set aside a weekend or even a couple of weeknights. And we invited people from all over the place, people just like you uh, that had things to say and had information that needs to get out there. And we just had a huge conference where it was live streamed and the premier was invited and cabinet was invited and reporters like the, everybody was invited. And we just filled auditoriums with Albertans who care. And then we start talking about this stuff. Some people. They're going to fall asleep in their chairs. They're going to wake up. They're going to hear something that makes them go, what? How is this happening in Alberta? But it's going to get people involved. And we don't, we don't particularly need the media for that because I mean, Carrie and I are, our page here, we have a following of 124,000 people and I'm a restaurant who dared to pour coffee in the face of a tyrannical government. Like I'm nobody, but the platform is there The the. The hunger for knowledge and truth is there. Mm-hmm. So, if we got a bunch of people together and even invited those who are against us that say, Do your part, get vaccinated, stand six feet apart, invite them, share your science. Here's our yeah. science. Here's Absolutely. their science. Let's have a discussion. Yeah. It, it, it's science. Why would you be scared, afraid of that? Uh, I, I think we really got to do that. And, Carrie, we've been talking about that for about a year. Yes. We putting have, on yeah. some sort of a conference like this. And I think it's yeah. something we really need to pursue. Yeah also invite um um oh my goodness we were just talking about it uh what's his pickle i'll t- i'll speak to them in their native language bah remember no <laughs> oh my goodness i don't know what's wrong with me It'll strangle ted nugent oh, Strang- oh yes oh i don't. yeah exactly right old ted too yeah there was
2: a there was a few of them that we were talking about like that yeah yeah you're right yeah
0: yeah I think that's going to be my mission in life over the next six months is to try and set something like that up because we we have to do it. We yeah. have to get all, all the people together who have truth that they want to share and we have to give them a forum and opportunity to get it out there and make it so big that the media can't ignore it. They have to acknowledge that it's happening because I guarantee you, our friend Sheila with Rebel will be there. Yeah. She'll be reporting the whole thing. You know, yeah. um, Our friends of the Western Standard, they'll be there as well. Uh, and our like-minded friends at CTV News, they will be there as well, although most of it would end up on the editing room floor like usual, but at least they'll be there listening, right? So um, I, I really think we've got to do it.
2: You know what would be a great day to do that? Valentine's Ara- Day. Around, that. No, around January 27th and 28th.
0: Did those dates mean anything to you? Probably not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I got my first order to appear on January 28th. <laughs>
2: The twenty third is when uh, we left for the uh, on the convoy, and uh, it was that weekend. Oh, yes! Right, so out yeah. there. Now, granted, that might be a little too far ahead, or like it would be great to be able to set something up like this, even in the next couple of weeks. But that's I have being
0: selfish highly... reasons for saying this. But I yeah. want to do it January sixteenth and seventeenth and eighteenth. Ah, because
2: that is your court date.
0: Yeah, back in court. Uh-huh. And there's nothing I'd like more than to have all these men and women who are standing up saying, "Yeah, you know." You are right to speak out against this because the government's doing the wrong thing. I would love to have them in the gallery, in the courtroom, so that when that judge walks in and when the crown prosecutor walks in, he sees some of the brightest minds in the province and in the country sitting there and waiting to hear how our, our legal system in Alberta is going to deal with this
1: matter. That would be epic. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. I've got my next court date coming up, I think is on January 18th. And I have a full day court hearing with uh, AHS's uh, top lawyers, their entire corporate uh, team. Um, And I have filed um, an application to have AHS declared abusers of the court and vexatious litigants and to have litigant uh, restrictions put on AHS so that they can't just abuse the court system, the way they've been abusing it, not just with me, but, you know, wow. with yourself, with yep. uh, Arthur Pavlovsky and everybody else.
0: Yep.
1: Um, and so, uh, and of course that includes the college of physicians and surgeons of Alberta as well. Both AHS and the college have committed extensive court fraud, fraud in court. They have filed fraudulent affidavits. They have filed 13 fraudulent applications in my case, completely fraudulent, made up. I have the documents. I have the evidence. Uh, I've, I've shown it to the judge, uh, judge justice Inglis of the court of King's bench. And she said, yes, this, this needs to be heard. Um, it, it requires a full day court hearing and that court hearing will be on January 18th. I'm going to put out mm-hmm. the, the exact uh, sort of date and time and everything as it gets closer. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my part. Um, and, um, We'll see if uh, you know what AHS does uh, with that, and and what the courts are going to do with that. Uh, are they? Will the courts have the guts to actually declare AHS and their lawyers abusers of the court who have committed fraud repeatedly in court using Alberta taxpayer money, millions of Alberta taxpayer dollars? In my case, they've used over five million taxpayer dollars and legal fees persecuting you know me and my family for six years will the court have the guts to find hs guilty of abusing the courts or you know will, will something else happen i don't know but we'll we'll find out
0: well i you wow. just sent shivers down my spine and i will be there I, i'll be in the neighborhood anyway because i'll likely be in court just down the hall uh, but i'll get up out of my matter and i'll come visit you at yours i was gonna me.
2: ask so which which court is that because chris you're in edmonton or well, i'm uh, in red deer you're in red deer and yeah. is that is that where
0: uh oh king's bench you are, really?
2: yeah you, so are mine, you mine is in edmonton that's oh, what i think exactly. yeah yeah
0: well maybe mine will be wrapped up by the 17th it's uh slated 16 17 and 18. yeah but we'll see how it goes maybe we'll get halfway in on the 16th and ahs will say oh we need another three months <laughs> but yeah. i will either way um i'm gonna figure out a way to be there with you because that's uh what what you're doing there is that's amazing and I'm actually gonna call a bunch of my friends too, and I'm gonna see if they want to come. Because court's yeah. always fun, right? Yeah. yeah,
2: especially if we bring big trucks.
0: Big trucks. <laughs> I have a big truck. <laughs> you do.
2: Although, will you still have it by then? I hope not. <laughs> wow. No, this this has been an uh, an amazing eye-opening interview. And you know what? I, I had two other Big topics, I think that we were going to cover. And I mean, we're already into an hour and 40 minutes. And, and obviously you got notoriety in the last uh, couple of weeks, just in regards to the 80 doctors dropping or dying. Yeah. Because last, I think it was like last Christmas when we heard about, you know, eight, eight were sick or dying or, and then it just gradually, the number got bigger and bigger and the media just kind of swept that under the rug. And yeah. then uh do you do you want to just briefly talk about how you managed to find out the 80? Because I know that's a really interesting story. And it's a big number. It's yeah. yeah.
1: It is a big number. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it started with just uh two that had died um after their booster shot. Um uh there's a 52-year-old cardiologist in New Brunswick died two weeks after his his third booster shot. <laughs> And then a, a family doctor in Toronto, 48, died three days after his uh, booster shot. Um, he both of them died in their sleep. Yeah. Now that's that's bizarre, and that's that's extremely rare. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're looking at a pre-pandemic or in pre-vaccine rollout, uh, you would you would need to have an extremely rare, um, you know, uh, congenital condition uh, for something like that to happen. And here you've got two doctors, young doctors who died in their sleep right after the booster shot. And so that kind of started the whole thing. Um, you know, it's it, then in the summer, it just started happening left and right. Yeah. Uh, I first put together, uh, you know, I found 13. Uh, then a month later, it was 32. And then a month later, it was 80. Now we've we found 80 because um, I now have a team of volunteers who've gone through like every database online um, every medical database possible and so we now have about a database of 1800 canadian doctor deaths over the past four years Uh, it's a very detailed database uh, ages locations um, everything obituaries what have you Um, and so we look for uh, actively practicing doctors these are usually doctors under the age of 70 Uh, and we look for um you know that they had no no prior known health conditions Um, and they that they they died suddenly or unexpectedly in 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 some way, and so that's where the the eighty uh, doctors comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can compare to previous years since the vaccine rollout. Doctors under the age of fifty are dying at double the rate mm-hmm. uh, compared to 2020 and 2019, um, and then it gets worse as you get younger. Um, you know, under age forty, it's five times, and under age thirty, is eight times the rate compared to pre-vaccine rollout. Um, And so I've got this huge database. Uh, I've spoken to um, uh, Jeffrey Rath about it, Mm -hmm. uh, the lawyer. And so we've we've sort of discussed that um, because I want to get this database into the right hands. Um, You know, this is hundreds and hundreds of of hours of work, volunteer work. Um, Everything is cross-referenced. A lot of data that we have has actually been deleted by the Canadian Medical Association. Who are really conducting a, a massive cover-up of this uh, which i was kind of surprised because i thought at least they would come out and say okay uh, we'll look into it and we'll get back to you and you know they'll never mm-hmm. get back to me instead what they've done is they're sort of doubling down on this idea of calling it misinformation and not even looking at the data right not even looking at the information they, they're like this is misinformation and we're not going to look at it and we recommend everyone get vaccinated and boosted um and, and they and always so that, include that in there don't they yeah yeah and and that's kind of shocked me because you know I've sent it to their legal department it's out in the public now and for them to to refuse to even look at it uh, to me is really bizarre uh that they would sort of um you know leave themselves exposed legally like this because now everyone can say well you guys knew you guys knew that doctors were dying left and right yeah. and you refused to look at it. You called it misinformation. It's not misinformation. I have a database of 1,800 doctor deaths. We've cross-referenced it, um, you know, every which way possible. I've spoken to family members of several of the doctors who've died. So I have more information than what's available even online. Um, and so this is not a joke. This, this is serious. This is happening. Um, there's doctors in Alberta who are dying as well. We just had Dr. Michael Marshall die psychiatrist um in um i forget where he was practicing but it was uh somewhere between red deer and edmonton um 45 years old just just dropped dead and rachel notley acknowledged this death uh she said it's a tragedy it's a huge loss to the community he was um in the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. uh, a big sort of um uh, activist and psychiatrist 45 years old just dropped dead and Notley acknowledges his death and then she keeps pushing the vaccine like like nothing happened right and so um you know uh, Notley's ignoring it ndps ignoring it um and so i i really want to get this into the right hands and um you know i want to get this information to Danielle smiths uh, people yes. uh, whether it's an advisory group or the ministry of health or what have you and let them let their experts run the data through analysis and, you know, let, let them determine uh, what, you know, if, if this is really, um, you know, unprecedented, the, the rate of deaths, because, you know, that's what it looks like to me. And the fact that, um, you know, the Canadian Medical Association is trying to bury this and they're deleting um, doctor deaths from their in memoriam page uh, on their own website. Uh, and we recovered those deletions from the Wake Back Machine. And I've actually had an interview with Bright Light News. And he asked me to actually give him an examples of of where the CMA has actually deleted these doctor deaths from their database, and and an example where we recovered that data. So I sent him those those pages, and you could see it they're 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 completely deleting these entries wow. from their own website. So they like don't the, want, like they the don't want people utilization. They don't want people yeah. to to be ma- to make any kind of comparison. And they're pretending like doctors are dying at, at at the usual rate, which is absolutely not the case. And that 80, those 80, that's just doctors. That's not counting
0: nurses and janitorial staff and cooks and uh all that kind of stuff either, is it?
1: Exactly. So, so you know, there's been there's been sudden deaths in, in very young healthcare workers, uh, nurses, paramedics. This summer, there was a 23-year-old nurse who died. Um while she was swimming and she was actually live streaming to her family so so the whole thing is recorded um there was a 32 year old paramedic uh, from ontario who was um on a vacation in the states and she collapsed on her jet ski and died there was a 50 year old paramedic in new brunswick who collapsed on his shift and died Uh, so this is happening uh to other healthcare workers as well the problem is is no one else is keeping track of these things um, and I can talk about it because no one can silence me. The college can't silence me on this. Um, even AHS can't silence me on this. They've sort of sent me some like semi-threatening letters. Uh, I actually got a letter just a couple of days ago. They said, well, uh, you know, you said that uh, you signed yourself as AHS and University of Alberta and, you know, we're going to take legal action against you. And I said, I still have an active contract with AHS. So I had two contracts with AHS, they breached both of them, but one of them is still active. And I have also a breached agreement with the University of Alberta as Assistant Professor of Radiology and Diagnostic Imaging, uh, which is also supposed to be active. So yes, uh, I'm gonna put myself down as AHS and University of Alberta and, and, you know, you can take legal action if you want, but they're still kind of semi-threatening me about it. Um, and, you know, but i'm i'm i can actually talk about it there's no doctor in canada actively practicing doctor who can talk about this publicly um and so i've got my hands full keeping track of just doctor deaths uh you know i'm in contact with my volunteers every single day we discuss brand new deaths obituaries um i get updated databases every day we look at it we study it you know we, i mean i've i've basically spent 2 3 months uh the last 2 3 months uh studying this stuff and and examining it uh, on a regular basis um so this is no small thing and I cannot take on also keeping a database of other healthcare worker deaths mm-hmm. of nurses of paramedics of of other healthcare workers it's just it's too much you know for one person to keep keep track of and I hope that there'll be somebody else who let's say will take that on but well, but you know it's just there's no official health authority that is willing to look at this, except me and maybe Danielle Smith's uh government will be the first.
0: Well, they it should be them because they have the resources to do these things. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be up to people like us. We should be yeah. working, earning a living, hanging out with our family, enjoying our lives. But but whatever. If we gotta take it, and you know and, and, and,
1: and you know what's interesting is the Canadian Medical Association, um, one of their one of their PR persons said, Well, you know, our, our database is not complete. And we don't have enough information because it's um they're in memoriam pages voluntary, which means that family members have to submit the information and so on. And and what's what's um, funny is that I've recovered a thousand entries from their own website, including a lot of entries that they themselves deleted and I've also recovered, um, you know, entries from the Royal College of Physicians, uh, from the Alberta Medical Association, other medical associations, and medical schools. If I can, if if one person, myself, can recover this data, you know, they have teams of bureaucrats that can recover the same data as well. In fact, they could have asked me, "Look, can you please give us your database, and we'll have our experts analyze it and go yeah. over it." They are absolutely refusing to look at it, to even consider it. Uh, They said, you know what they said publicly, they said there is no evidence that the vaccines, the COVID vaccines have contributed to the deaths of any doctor in Canada without looking at, without looking at possible
0: to find evidence if you don't look for
1: it. Exactly. So they don't want to know. They don't want to know. They, you know, I don't know. I I know they have a partnership with Pfizer going back 10 years for continuing medical education. That's been exposed. Um, I don't know if they have a partnership with Moderna, but it seems they're much more interested in their pharmaceutical partnerships than in the deaths of their own doctor members.
0: And also that brings this full circle to what you originally talked about. Um, You were literally saving people's lives who had incurable cancer. And that got shelved because money. Yeah. Right. Nothing changes. Today, I uh, just the follow-up. But in addition to that conference, this what how do you feel about putting this into a format of like a documentary where it's it's presented in a way it could be narrated where the information is out there, the 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 screenshots, this and that, and there's just a timeline and it's explained and put into a format that people can just sit down on their computer, hit play, and, and just watch it.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 more than willing. Um honestly, I told my wife um uh, you know a couple of months ago I said listen, I I'm, I'm willing to to do any interview uh mm-hmm. a, you know any any documentary, any film, um anything that gets this information out there because I realized um the one thing HS really hates is that uh information gets out about um what HS executives do. Uh, what they've done, what decisions they've made, how it's impacted patients they they don't want Albertans to know. Um, like I said, they filed four injunction applications to have me permanently silenced by the court, which they lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that they filed four injunction and and they filed them pretty much simultaneously uh, using both of my lawsuits. So what they tried to do is they tried to find a loophole using both of my lawsuits and they just they just they just hammered the court, with four applications. It was AHS, the college and University of Alberta simultaneously. Uh, The judge basically heard them simultaneously because he said, look, this is all the same. You guys are basically just filing the same complaint over and over. And they specifically refer to my Twitter posts when I had a Twitter account at the time. They said, Mac is spreading by Twitter, and you know they'll have their accusations, defamatory, inflammatory, what have you, about our executives, officials, and so on. And, and they wanted desperately to have me silenced, and they took it to court, and they lost in court. So there's nothing more that these corrupt uh, bureaucrats love more than to for people to be silent and to not talk about this. Right. right so i think anything that that gets information out into the public i'm more than happy to to help and be involved in
2: are you well, back on twitter
0: now
1: you know what i've actually filed an appeal recently um and so twitter said okay we'll we'll get back to you because my account was suspended mm. because i raised concerns about pfizer vaccination in kids 5 to 11 years old yeah. um i quoted a cnbc article that was covering a research study that showed that The efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine dropped to 12% after a few months. And after six months, it became negative, which means uh, vaccinated kids were getting infected more frequently Mm -hmm. than unvaccinated kids. And because they were trying to roll out the Pfizer vaccines in the 5 to 11 age group right at that time, that's when Twitter went on a rampage deleting any account that would raise concerns about, about kids getting vaccinated. And so that's when I lost my Twitter account. It was on March 5th, uh, 2022. I had uh, almost 14,000 followers and they just torched my account. You know, everything was gone and, um, you know, accused accused me of COVID misinformation. They actually told me, they showed me the tweet that they based their termination of my account on. So I actually expect to get my Twitter account back. If Elon Musk is true to his word that he will restore accounts that were, you know, um, suspended for no good reason, then I should be back on Twitter maybe in a couple of weeks. Because he said it'll take a couple of weeks for him to convene this council of of, uh, moderators, and then he'll make the decision, you know, to restore people's accounts. So I might be back on Twitter in a couple of weeks. We'll see
0: oh he's the the ultimate internet troll but one of the good guys it's it's
1: uh, it's pleasing to watch
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and, and actually you, you can actually see NDP activists are already uh afraid that if I come back on Twitter I mean they're gonna lose their minds mm-hmm. uh because because they really hated uh whenever I came after Rachel Notley or AHS um or even the college they absolutely hated it and you know they they did everything to get me kicked off Twitter Uh, They filed bogus complaints. Uh, Mass. They did mass complaints. Um, This was done actually by an activist, NDP activist at the University of Alberta, law professor Ubaka Ogbogu, um, who is a Trudeau Foundation fellow. And he actually organized these mass reportings of me on Twitter trying to get me suspended um and so people were filing complaints against me for months and months and months these were ndp ndp activists who were desperately trying to shut me up and get me off twitter and then they thought that they succeeded mm-hmm. i don't think they realized that it was because of the 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 child vaccines the pfizer vaccine mm-hmm. so they actually were patting themselves on the back that they finally got me off twitter and and shut me up but if i'm back they're gonna lose their minds
2: wow
1: <laughs> more than they already have
2: yeah
0: <laughs> they are. well this has been uh I don't know how to describe it absolutely delightful yes I'm absolutely. really glad that we had this talk and I'm now I'm just looking forward to doing it again because I'm sure I believe you when you say you've got hours and hours and hours of stuff to talk about and I'm I'm happy to uh, facilitate that as I'm sure Carrie is as well yeah absolutely and Carrie's yeah. also more than happy to, uh, produce, edit, and distribute a, a video <laughs> for you because he has no life and nothing else to do. So I'm just kidding. No, uh, well, we'll talk about that. And, you know, I, I want to make some calls and find out if that's something that can even be done because like a half hour, 45 minutes, hour-long video with the, all this information delivered into the right hands would make a huge yes, impact. It would. Yep, huge. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just look at what happened with that uh, 2000 Mules video movie, right? Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, they've quickly kind of glossed over. I mean, yeah, I watched. It Did you watch?
0: Fast, didn't it? You watched it though. I watched part of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I watched the whole thing, and it was uh, amazing, amazing information.
0: Yeah. And I felt, I felt uh, but it just happened.
2: But it just didn't seem to go anywhere.
0: No. Nope. Right. Because things like that don't don't. We're and then the time even, when when yeah. lies are celebrated and the truth is persecuted. Yeah.
2: And then they were even saying, well, that could have happened on the Republican side as well as the D- Democrat side. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they're just kind of making stuff up.
0: Well, that's like saying, oh, you know, it could have been the Jews doing that to the Germans. You know, it, it doesn't matter what it could have been. This is what it was and what it that's, is. Let's yeah, deal with right. it. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Th- thanks again. Um, I guess we got quite a bit more stuff to talk about. So I'll make sure that you got. Our contact information. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, also, Carrie and I are part of an organization called wsfullsteamahead.org. Um, we have assisted layton Gray with the class action lawsuit against Pfizer. Uh, we have a group of about 3,500 people as a membership yeah. base who want to help with this kind of stuff. So I think there are definitely further conversations to be had how we can integrate that and, uh, give all these folks who want to help something to do so mm-hmm. that they can, um, Move, move stuff like this forward. If you're interested, of course. Yeah. And we'll, uh, I know on my part, and I'm sure Carrie would agree. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to, to help. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because we know everybody knows someone that's been affected somehow, whether it's been uh, a death or an injury or, or maybe not necessarily related directly to COVID. Like I've know a couple of people that committed committed suicide only because they you know they lost their jobs they they were estranged from their family they felt distanced and uh that was their way out and so it's just it's gross of uh the amount of of, of people and and what has happened over the last yeah you know, two years two plus yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. I, I think honestly you know it, too many people have been harmed yeah uh, too many people have suffered and 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 it's like you said it's, it's affecting everybody
2: yeah
1: and you know we we gotta we gotta change things we, we we especially you know with healthcare the abuses that that have gone on uh and and no one's been held accountable so far right mm-hmm. and and unfortunately with Kenny we it seems like we've lost years um you know where, where nothing happened because he was you know fully in line with that va- you know vaccine rollouts and everything else uh, mandates yeah. um vaccine passports even which he promised he would never bring in and then he caved and did uh but uh you know i think i think a lot is i think the tide is changing um and 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 uh, i think the timing is is perfect and and i really want to thank you guys for for you know giving me the opportunity and and to talk to you and uh turn a one hour interview into two hours and maybe more but but uh i really appreciate the you know the for reaching out and and giving me the opportunity to to speak to you
2: that's awesome thank you so so much for everything that you've done the the, you're a brave soul Uh, i mean again everybody has their own way of dealing with things and i don't know what you know you're obviously with your background of of being an immigrant coming in but to put myself in your shoes uh you know uh, would i have done something differently it's hard to say but uh but thank you so much for everything that that you have mm-hmm. done so far because i'm sure there's much much more to be done
0: thank you yes and it's going to be fun
2: yes <laughs> now is the fun part is yeah. there a fun part
0: yeah yeah, yeah. watching it all crash yeah, yeah that's the fun part yeah for me yeah anyway yeah i guess we'll wrap it up and if you're okay with it uh let's stay in touch and and continue doing things like this absolutely all right
2: but uh yeah thank you so much for for watching and thank you to dr william macus for everything that he does and uh we will see you guys again real soon thank you very much
0: all right thanks guys good night everybody Good good night